What's up, sports fans? Welcome into another edition of this podcast with yours truly, uh, Corey Clark, your favorite nosports.com columnist, um, where we talk about, or where I guess I should say I talk about, uh, what happened uh, last week and look forward to the uh, game coming up. Obviously, the game coming up is a big one. It's that team from South Florida that's had a pretty good rivalry with Florida State over the years, although it's been certainly one-sided here the last, well, more than the last half decade. Um, but essentially the whole, the, the last decade, Florida State's won eight out of 10, seven in a row, you know, the numbers, but before we get into the Miami game and what we expect, uh, to happen this Saturday, we should probably take a gander back at what happened in Winston Salem. And, uh, look, it's great to get a win. Hooray. That's nice. Uh, winning is better than losing, but I can't imagine that many of you or any of you felt better about this team after that game, despite the win. Maybe that's not fair. I don't know. I know the ACC is better than we're used to. Wake Forest is a bowl team. You went on the road and won. Um, so, you know, there there are there were positives. You did win the game. You came from behind in the fourth quarter with a true freshman quarterback who made two huge throws in the fourth quarter to set up the game-tying field goal and then to actually win the game. The defense, uh, which was just straight average, in my opinion, for most of the afternoon, um, actually made some big-time stops in the fourth quarter when they when it desperately had to have them to keep Florida State in the game, to keep from Wake, Wake Forest from extending the lead. So that was uh, that was good to see too. But overall, I mean, I don't you know, when you watch that team and the way it played on Saturday, um, you can't feel great about th- this season moving forward. You thought maybe that you know they they say that. You know, a team makes its most its biggest improvement from week one to week two. Florida State never really got that because of the crazy way the season started. So you thought, okay, they did lose the NC State game. Well, they get to play again. For the first time, they get to play again the very next week. They get to work on everything that cost them that game against NC State. How much better are they going to look against Wake Forest? A capable team, certainly not a great team, not a dominant team, not a team loaded with NFL players, but a capable team. How is Florida State going to look? Well, not good is is what you'd say to that. Um, the offense was, uh, you know, I don't even know what you say about 17 tackles for loss. You, you, I mean, that's just that's an embarrassment. There's no other way to put it. It is a straight embarrassment for a Florida State offensive line to get owned like that by a Wake Forest defensive line. Uh, Florida State should just have better players than that. And I think that was maybe the most illuminating element of the whole game. The defense is what it is, you know. The, the, in my opinion, they are too good to look that average. That, that, let me no, let me rephrase. They have too much talent to look that average. Uh, just like they looked average against NC State, they looked bad against NC State. Actually, they were average against Wake Forest. Man, you you know you have as much ta- you have so much talent. You should be dominating Wake Forest. And they they played the run well at times, but Wake Forest runs a a goofy offense where the where the quarterback is the leading rusher. So it's an it's a it's a different kind of offense. A lot of quick passes, and you know I just didn't think they played it well, frankly. I they, you know I just last year Wake Forest scored three points. This year they scored whatever they scored nineteen. Uh, missed an extra point. Obviously should have been twenty. Um, and and kind of moved the ball. I, I thought they actually played better than Florida State for most of the day. Probably deserved that win. Florida State actually kind of stole that one which is nuts to think that Florida State has to steal a game from Wake Forest. But they did. Uh, they won. Florida State won. Um, but the defense isn't the talking point this week because the offensive line, again, it's not just the 17 tackles for loss. Um, it's just that you're in year eight. 
Jimbo Fisher's in year eight of this. You know, the last time he had an offensive line that looked like this, that performed like this, was 2011. That was his second year. Half the team was hurt. Datko was hurt for most of the year. They had to play. A, and finally, that I don't know if you remember, but that bowl game against Notre Dame, the Champs Bowl, he finally just said, hey, we're playing the freshman. And so they started the freshman, Trey Jackson. Um, who else was in that group? Matias, maybe. Um, they, they, they started the freshman and said, we're riding with you guys. You guys are going to start this game. We're going to try to build off that. Um, other than that, I, you know, that that at least made sense because they were only the second year of it being Jimbo Fisher's program. When you're in year eight, and Coach Tr- and Rick Trickett has been here now eleven years, and this is the offensive line that you're running out there the third game of the season. Yes, it hurt that Derek Kelly hurt himself in the first got hurt in the first series of the game. You lose your starting left tackle. It can't be that debilitating where it just completely changes everything and collapses what you're trying to do. But that seemed like it was the case, that they just knew they could not block Wake Forest because they lost their starting left tackle. That's a bad, bad sign. Because, again, they, they've recruited, they've got 15, 16, 17 scholarship linemen. You can't put five together. They can actually look competent. Maybe it was a one-game anomaly. You know, they weren't, they, I mean, it's hard to say. They weren't terrible against Alabama. They really weren't. They didn't get They didn't get dominated. Francois wasn't running for his life. Um, you know, and even the play Francois got hurt on, yes, that should, that should have been picked up in hindsight, but also he needs to get rid of the ball quicker. So that was that was on both of them, which was a which was a problem with Francois uh, throughout his you know first thirteen or fourteen games was holding on to the ball a little bit too long. So you can understand the the fact that they struggled a bit against Alabama and NC State made sense. Um, NC State they ran the ball well. They Jimbo just didn't call a lot of runs, but uh, in this game trying to establish the run and they busted a couple. You know uh, Patrick had but you know half of their rushing yards came on one play. Patrick had a 70-yard run. They also lost 80 yards from scrimmage on tackles for loss. That's that's just impossible to do. You're not playing the the Bears or the Patriots or the 40 any name any NFL team or even Alabama or Clemson. You're playing Wake Forest. So what's going to happen when you play a, a team with a pretty good defensive front like Miami or you play a team with a great defense defensive front like Clemson? Um, but that's that that's the reality is that this offensive line was embarrassed uh, in Winston-Salem and moving forward I know there's a lot of noise in the system that 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 the offensive line coach needs to go I you know maybe he does maybe he doesn't let, let me put it another way maybe he will maybe he won't I don't think that if this keeps up and I mean I don't even mean obviously I don't think they're going to give up 17 tackles for loss every game but if it keeps up where they're always second and 12, and they're they're always getting plays blown up, whether it's missed assignments, just being bad, not good, and or the lack of communication. Whatever it is that allows James Blackman to turn around and literally two steps from after he's taken the ball, backing up, he's being sacked, which had to be the quickest sack in college football history. You know, if that, that stuff can't keep happening. And it's odd that it's happening in year eight with some experienced players. It's not a bunch of freshmen. It's not a bad hand you've been dealt. You didn't know who your left tackle was going into the season. We were told that it was Rick Leonard. That's who played there in the spring. That's who Jimbo really liked. And then before the first day of fall camp, 
back in August, we're told, no, it's Derek Kelly. Rick Leonard's going back to the other side. So, well, what, what was that about? They're, they're mixing and matching, and they either don't have the, they don't know how to mix and match correctly, or they don't have very good parts to mix and match with. Either way, the result was last Saturday. So, I understand the frustration. Truly, I do. I understand the frustration uh, fans feel watching that because it's it's inexcusable. Jimbo said as much. It's inexcusable to be to be whipped like that by Wake by anyone by Alabama. It'd be inexcusable to give up 17 tackles for loss. To, and Florida State leads the nation in tackles for loss allowed per game. By the way, if you're wondering about that, which shouldn't come as a surprise when you allow 17 in one game. But again, that's an indictment. You can say it's an indictment of his offensive line coach. You can say it's an indictment of of the players, the talent they're recruiting. Or you can say it's an indictment of Jimbo. Like, it's your program. This is your offense. You're an offensive guy. This is the guy you wanted to coach. These are the players you wanted to recruit. You actively recruited and offered scholarships to. Why is it this bad? So anyway, uh, the offensive line, I'll I'll quit. I won't harp on it anymore. But it's certainly worth harping on because that was one of the worst performances in Florida State. Uh, history. Still, they won the game. And what I will say is I didn't think Jimbo was very good at all. I thought he was way too cautious. I think the way you beat Wake Forest when they're trying to when they're trying to stop the run is through the air. Um, and apparently the only receiver they can count on is Auden Tate. And if he's not 100% healthy and not out there, they're just not going to throw the ball downfield. Uh, George Campbell had a couple chances to make plays and just didn't, which he, he needs to. Uh, but Auden Tate made a play. And you know, I can lament, we can lament how bad the offensive line was and how it's not great and it isn't. But man, that kid with a bad shoulder went out there and when it mattered most, made a play for his team. And frankly, when it mattered most, James Blackman made a play for his team and Jimbo Fisher allowed James Blackman to make that play. There's nobody in the stadium that thought that first down from the 40-yard line with that much time left and Wake having those timeouts that Jimbo was going to do a play action. I, the whole world knew he was going to run the ball because he had been conservative the whole game, so you expected him to be conservative in that moment. For him to go play action and bootleg out, that's a, that's just a brilliant play call. He certainly wasn't brilliant on Saturday, and this offense has been a disaster with four touchdowns in three games, but that's a big one. That's a really nice play call. Um, they were set up for it. I don't think he was... <laughs> He wasn't setting them up all game by running the line for minus one every first down. That's not what he was doing. But Wake Forest was certainly expecting the run. They got man-to-man coverage with their best receiver uh, streaking towards the end zone, and the quarterback put a laser right on him, just threw a dart. And and that was a great catch while being interfered with. Gavin, Keith Gavin, also made two huge plays in that game. The kick return when they were down 12-3 to um, to set up their first touchdown. And then, um, then that catch on fourth and I, or not fourth, third and nineteen maybe, where he had the forty-three yard catch down the sideline. I mean, that's a big play, man. That's a guy going and making a play because he wasn't like wide. It was a good throw too, but he wasn't wide open. He had to make an adjustment on the ball and make a play, and he did. There's a positive there. I don't know what's going on with Nooney Murray. I asked Jimbo about him on Monday. I said, "What can you do to get Nooney more involved in the offense?" And he bristled and said, "He's got to get open." Uh, I'm not sure if he was bristling at the question, like thinking that I that I was questioning why they weren't throwing to him, calling plays for him. So he wanted to point out he's being he's having a lot of plays called for him. He's not getting open, or he's not running the routes correctly, or the quarterback doesn't see him when he does get open, or a defensive back makes a great play. Whatever the case may be, through three games, Nooney Murray has 60 yards of total offense. This is a guy that thinks he's the best um, wide receiver in the country and was really good 
excuse me, was really good last year at times. Won them, essentially kind of won them the NC State game and the and the Michigan game with two huge plays. So he he's really good, and he's shown he can be an elite receiver, a dynamic receiver, but he's been non-existent. And, you know, Jimbo could call plays that got him more involved maybe. You know, you watch how Wake Forest, hand, uh, uh, you know, called plays for the Dorch kid. I think it's Dorch or Gorch, whoever number 89 was, fast little guy. Um, he's really good, and they found ways to get him the ball in space where he could make plays. Florida State didn't do any of that for Nooney Murray. The only time they tried to get him a ball, um, you know, George Campbell missed a block, and he got lit up and was on the field for three minutes. So that's a concern is what in the world's going on with Nooney Murray. You have to get that guy involved. You can't just be a team that has one one weapon, and that weapon's hurt in Auden Tate. The other guy's got to step up. I thought Patrick was good. Uh, ran hard, especially after the Gavin, the Gavin kick, kick return. Patrick ran really hard and kind of willed himself into the end zone and willed a couple first downs uh, in the first half. He did, he did really well. I think Akers is going to be good, but he's got to get, you know, you can't be running backwards like that. You got to hit a hole and hard. And like Jimbo said, Dalvin had that issue too coming out of high school, where every play needs to be wants to be a home run. When sometimes it's just a four-yard gain, that's good enough. Um, Akers will get there. Akers is going to be really good. I think he's got a chance to be special. He's just he's not quite there yet, but he's also three games in. Dalvin wasn't even playing at this time. He didn't start playing until halfway through his freshman season. So I think you're going to see a lot of improvement there. Um, moving forward, so looking ahead to Miami. Look, Florida State can beat Miami, obviously. That's not anything – I'm not saying anything outlandish there. I know Miami's a favorite by like one or two points, but you know I'm not sold on Miami. I think Florida State is still the more talented team. I think they're really struggling on offense. They haven't found any kind of rhythm on offense, and Jimmo needs to figure that out um, quickly. But I do think Florida State is the more talented team. Uh, it's even on defense, I think Florida State's defense is – I know Miami's got a good defensive front. So does Florida State. Florida State's got a better secondary. Um, maybe you say Miami's better coached. Uh, that's fair. But I think overall, Florida State has a better roster, uh, probably by a pretty substantial margin. So it's just a matter of if this, if winning this game, Jimbo hopes that this game gave them, gave them a lot of confidence that they won this game, um, that that they finally felt felt what what it's like to win again, and they'll they'll have more confidence coming into this one. You could argue, you could counter that if it takes a win over Wake Forest to give your team of four and five star recruits a lot of confidence. Something's not working. Something's not right. But we'll see. We'll see how they build off the win. Um, I certainly don't expect anyone to blow the other one out uh, unless turnovers become a, a, a huge factor. I think if it's even, the turnover battle's pretty much even. You know, I, I think you're looking at a game in the fourth quarter where it's close. And if that happens, you would think. It doesn't mean it's true. Um, every Every game is unique. Every year is unique. But you would think that if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, Florida State will have the upper hand. Because nobody on the Florida State sideline expects to lose to Miami. Nobody on the Miami sideline has ever beaten Florida State. And in fact, they've lost in some excruciating fashion. So if it's close, you have to imagine that in the back of their minds, those Miami players are like, how are we going to lose this game? How is this going to happen? How are we going to get our hearts broken? Much like Florida State was in the 90s when those two great teams would meet each year and it was always close in the fourth quarter. And it seemed like every time it was a close game, Florida State would figure out a way to lose. Miami would figure out a way to win. I think there is something there that that's where where that can be a factor. Where the Florida State kids are confident in that spot in that situation, believing it's going to happen, while the Miami kids are not. That said, 
You don't believe you can beat it. You, you, you can't beat a team until you do it. Like the the just because Miami hasn't won the last seven years doesn't mean they're going to lose in perpetuity. They're going to win eventually. And so that just because Florida State will have a little bit more belief in the fourth quarter, maybe if it's close, doesn't guarantee a win. Obviously, so Florida State's going to have to play well. I think they will. I, I I just do. I think the offensive line will play better. It couldn't play any worse unless it just didn't show up. Um, but I think the Florida State, I think Florida State will play better on both sides of the ball. I think they're going to be juiced up for this game like they haven't been since the Alabama game. It's been a weird season. They were really good defensively against Alabama the last two weeks for this reason, that reason. Um, a layoff, rust, um, not well prepared, whatever the case may be, they weren't very good on defense. I think they will be uh, better on defense. I think they're going to make. Life pretty miserable for Rozier. I don't expect Walton to have a huge game. Could be wrong. You know, I know I could be wrong. Um, I just think Florida State will play really will play well on defense, and I think they will improve on the offensive line because again they couldn't not they couldn't they'd have to. Um, just giving up 16 tackles for loss will be an improvement, right? So, and I, and I think Jimbo, all of it. I think they're going to learn a lot from that Wake Forest game. And so, if they if they can bounce back and win this game and make it a two game winning streak, two in a row, baby. If they can make it a two game winning streak, well, then you start looking at the schedule. I'm like, okay, well, you still have a chance at a decent season. Um, not a great season because they're not beating Clemson, so you're guaranteed of at least three losses, at least. So, uh, but I think you're lo- you're looking at an okay season. If you lose this game, well, then then things get really dicey and you start legitimately worrying about bowl eligibility. And that's not hyperbole. If you lose this game, you'll have three losses and one win. You've got Clemson left on the schedule, so you have four losses. Louisville and Florida are still on the schedule. At Duke is not a gimme. Uh, are any of them gimmies when, when you barely beat Wake Forest and you lose at home to NC State? No. So... Um, you know, it's not a guarantee that they're going to win enough to get bowl eligible if they lose this game. So, and again, I guess that comes back to you'd hoped you'd seen more against Winston-Salem. It's not against the law for Florida State to go out and dominate an ACC team. They've done it a few times over the over the last two year, two or three years, but not much. Not since 13 have they just gone out and annihilated teams. And Clemson does it. You know, you look at Clemson, they blew out Louisville on the road, top 10 team. Then they go play a good Virginia Tech team on the road and are up 24-3 in the third quarter. They just exert their will and, and roll up team, roll teams. Uh, and I don't, I don't think Clemson is all that much more talented than Florida State. So do with that what you will. So anyway, I'm done talking. Florida State-Miami, this is a really big game, I think, uh, for, for Jimbo Fisher and his staff um, just for the future of this year and moving forward. I think if you lose this game, it guarantees, it guarantees – that changes are going to have to come at the end of the year. You can't, you can't be this miserable on offense. You can't be this average on defense with the talent you have and think things are going in the right direction and not make changes. And I also think Jimbo Fisher is competitive enough that he won't be that person, that he will make changes if he has to. Because, again, look at what Clemson's doing. That has to irk him. He was the best program in the nation just three years ago, and now he's not even the best program in the Atlantic. Um, he's struggling with Wake Forest while while Clemson is winning national championships and blowing out Virginia Tech and Louisville on the road. Um, it, you know, just blowing out everyone. So he's he's been he's been passed by Clemson. It looks like his program is on the verge of getting lapped by Clemson. So that has to change. He knows that has to change. So it'll be really interesting. And I uh, and so 
this game, going to two and two, extending the winning streak to eight straight over Miami would be huge just for the tone of the season. It's been such a miserable start. And not just the one and two record. The offense is just ugly and gross and draining to watch. It scored four touchdowns in three games, which is just abysmal. It's just inexcusable. But also with the way the season was, and you've still only played three games, you played two in September, uh, it's just been an odd season and kind of a miserable start to the season. Winning, Beating Miami, getting to 2-2, two and two, now you have something at least to feel good about that the fans can be excited about. Hey, we extended the streak. It's eight in a row. Let's see if we can get this season righted. Um, give them something to feel positive about because right now they don't feel much. Uh, there's not much. It doesn't seem like there's much to feel positive about, as you can tell from the last 20 minutes of this podcast. So anyway, that's it. I'm wrapped up. Uh, sorry to be uh, Debbie Downer there, all doom and gloom. I, I, I still think this team has a chance to be decent, but it, it really does all hinge on this game because if they lose this game, then there's no way you can say this is a good season or even a decent season. It's a disappointment, and we're still early in October, and the season will be completely lost. So anyway, other than that, good times. Corey Clark, podcast. Appreciate you listening. Peace out.